We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone, welcome into episode 100 of BuzzBeat. I wish we had something special planned for the 100th episode of BuzzBeat, but we don't. Uh, We're going to turn this episode into a report card grading scale for the Hornets for the 2018-19 season. Um, We're going to kind of focus on the trends that they had from the start of the season to the the end of the season uh, and just how they performed, and we're going to give a letter grade. I know that we put out a uh, poll on Twitter on the BuzzBeat handle, and you guys also voted for these players. Uh, Unfortunately, with the Twitter poll, they don't give you the option of pluses and minuses, but today, uh, Spencer, Brian, and myself are also going to get a little bit more specific uh, and a player can receive an A- minus or a B plus, uh, just to kind of make things a little bit different and differentiate the players a little bit. So uh, again, I'm joined as always by Brian and Spencer. Brian, how's everything going over there? Things are good. Enjoying the NBA playoffs, um, enjoying a bit of a break from college basketball season and uh, excited to ramp up to the draft, uh, NBA finals and uh, you know a little bit of vacation time here in the off season. Very good. And uh, anything new in your life, Spencer? Or just work, work, work? Yeah, that and it's the, that downtime of year, you know, with basketball when we don't have a playoff team to really root for <laughs> and we're, uh, you know, prepping up for um, for draft. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to digging in some of these draft prospects. I've started mm-hmm. a little bit of that. Uh, but, yeah, that's it's kind of the next thing on the docket. So, same old, same old. Well, very good. We're going to hop right into this. This is going to be a pretty quick episode in terms of the length. Uh, We're only going to spend a maximum of five minutes per player on this. And clearly, we're going to start with the captain, Kimball Walker, who averaged 25.6 points a game, 5.9 assists per game, 4.4 rebounds, and he shot 36 from behind the arc. Um, So we're just going to kind of start the discussion on how he performed this year. Clearly, he was the focal point of the Hornets. Uh, and clearly that comes with added attention from opposing players. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day called Knuckleheads Podcast with Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles, uh, and Pat Beverly was on, and he stated that Kimball Walker was uh, one of the three toughest players to guard in the NBA, but he also stated that because he has so little help around him, uh, like we've seen year in and year out, opposing teams know what to do. 
but he still puts up great numbers in my eyes. A great pull-up shooter, especially in the mid-range when those bigs are kind of dropping back a little bit. Um, and then he does a good job of setting up his teammates this season. He has an assist percentage of 28.7, uh, which puts him in the 75th percentile according to cleaning the glass. So I'll just kind of open this up for discussion for either of you guys. What are, what are some of the positives or, or negatives that you've seen with Kimball Walker this season? Uh, and then we'll get to the, the grades at the end of it all. Yeah, well, you think with Kemba, I mean, he is sort of one of the preeminent high-usage pick-and-roll engines in the entire NBA. And uh, that's sort of out of – he's really good at doing it. It's also out of necessity because that's just the easiest offense to sort of generate when the talent around him is um, average at best. Uh, 971 pick-and-roll ball handler possessions this season, most in the NBA, uh, 50 more than D'Angelo Russell, who was second – Uh, Among players with 300 possessions, he was fourth in efficiency uh, behind Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, and Paul George. 1.01 points per possession uh, with an effective shooting rate of 52%. Um, 47% of his total possessions this season were in pick and roll. And that's just sort of par for the course. Go back over the last four seasons. He's about, you know, 46 to 50 plus percent pick and roll. Um, usually close to right around one point per possession, which considering his usage, pretty, pretty darn good. Isolation scoring jumped big this year, 8% of his possessions in isolation, 1.03 points per possession, uh, just a 5% turnover rate too. That's up from 0.82 points per possession in isolation last season. Um, you know, three-point percentage dropped a little bit this season, uh-huh. uh, especially off the catch where he was about 35%. That, that like, two seasons ago, that was well over 45%. Um, that's sort of fallen off a little bit. But only one of the preeminent pull-up shooters in the NBA, only 44% of his threes were assisted. That's a monster number. And only 17% of his finishes at the rim, and he got to the rim a ton this year, didn't shoot a great number, but only 17% of his field goals at the rim were assisted too. So this guy, I mean, he is an offense to himself, a modern-day yeah. Iverson. And um, his advance, you know, fourth, uh, 4.2 offensive RPM this season. That's number four amongst guards, um, along with Harden, Steph, and Dame. I mean, this guy is basketball royalty, both in terms of his usage, his efficiency, the way he carries an offense to himself. And uh, I know the defense lacked a little bit this season, but he's carrying such a weight on the offensive end, uh, just a special, special player. And his clutch numbers were, were decent this year, too, for that matter, especially if you factor in free throw shooting. Uh, the heart and soul of this team, he played all 82 games, career highs and a bunch of numbers, too. It was a special season for Kemba. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add on top of that. Well said from both of you guys. You know, his efficiency, you know, remaining, you know, not really jumping north, but remaining in the similar place that it was in, in years past, I would say that, you know, offensively, he, cert- he certainly had more help in past years. I mean, I mean you got to think what Jeremy Lamb is really like the second cog in this offense. So mm-hmm. for Kimball Walker to, you know, remain effective um, and, and just strike terror on defenses uh, consistently in the pick and roll, you can't guard him because he his stop and go time is, is so quick. Um, that if you step up, he's splitting. If you sit back, he's going to give you a hesitation dribble or a quick little ball fake or shoulder shimmy, and he's by you and he's at the rim. The guy is uh, – he, he's hes one of the best low center of gravity guards the NBA has ever seen, um, and, and that will always serve him 
as long as he's you know this athletic and this quick and still and has this twitchiness to him, it's going to serve him at a very high level. Um, you can I just can't stop pondering. You know what is Kimball Walker become? What is the next evolution for him if there is one with more talent around him? Does he ever get to experience that? Right, like that's that's the thing for Kimball that, that not only Hornets fans but certainly the NBA is is pondering. So um, I guess I you know I'll, I'll start with the grade and throw it to you guys. Kimball Walker gets. He gets an A for me, um, and simply because of the weight he had to carry this year. Uh, you know, I, I think he could be better off the ball with a guy that could kind of run the offense a little bit more and also score next to Kemba. But, again, his efficiency numbers weren't crazy good this season, not the best of his career per se, um, mm-hmm. but it's just the weight he had to carry. So I give him an A. Yeah, I think it's very difficult to grade him, like you said, Spencer, with the help or lack of help around him yes maybe he had Jeremy Lamb this year so a lot of things that he had a burden on the offensive end uh you know and he also had to suffer on the defensive end in terms of expending that energy so I'm going to give him an A minus um I think I'm going to dock him a little bit for the finishing around the rim he's never really developed that in his career and then uh like Brian mentioned his one-on-one defense kind of comes and goes but again a lot of that could be because of all the energy that he has to expend on the offensive end. So still an A in my books, but he got an A minus. And then I just do kind of want to report the uh, the Twitter results in the poll. Uh, you all got you guys voted him as an A, a solid A. You guys didn't have the pluses or minuses, so uh, Twitter was an A. So Brian, what is your evaluation on him? Yeah, Kemba, one of ten players this season with 200 pull-up three-point attempts and 50% effective shooting in that group. Curry, Harden, C.J. McCollum, J.J. Reddick, Kevin Durant, Dame Lillard, CP3, Kyrie, Kemba. Like, this is – he is the 1% of basketball talent. Uh, He's in the prime of his career. He gets an A for me. Um, And and really, what a special player. It's unfortunate that the team's success couldn't match his level of uh, efficiency and production this season. All right, um, let's move on. Let, we're going to go to Jeremy Lamb here. Um, try to keep it to about the same time we just discussed Kemba. Jeremy Lamb this season, 15.3 points per game, 2.2 assists per game, 5.5 rebounds, 35% from behind the arc. To me, you know, Jeremy Lamb just proved he can be a reliable scorer which with a much heavier workload, um, 28.5 minutes per game this season. That's a career high. Um, look, you know, like, like Kimba, his efficiency numbers don't blow you away, but I mean, how much more, I mean, he, he almost played 350 more minutes this season than he, than he, than he had in any other season during his career. Um, you know, I just think he, it was a little bit of a prove it year for lamb. We talked about that coming into it and he proved that with a, with a heavier load, he could still be an efficient score. Um, from a, a few different levels of the floor. For mm-hmm. me, going forward with Lamb, it's can he become a more explosive player? He is a, he is a good athlete. He's not a nuclear athlete, but he does depend on his length. You know, in my opinion, if he wants to take that next step as a player, he does rely on that length too much. Um, you know, we see him get close to the rim and almost take that last long stride so he can get back to his right hand mm-hmm. with that little floater instead of just continuing the velocity of going towards the rim, getting all the way there and, and dunking with either hand. That's not his game. I, I, I think that's in him. Um, the other thing I want to see Lamb try to improve is his right hand. You know, Can he develop any kind of right hand uh, during his NBA career really would make him much more difficult uh, to guard. But you know, overall, 
we have learned that Jeremy Lamb's floor as a player is a six-man volume score mm-hmm. floor mm-hmm. in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to me, that's certainly a, a positive uh, for him. So, so I was impressed with Lamb. Again, his shooting numbers were off the charts. But, again, you have to consider how many more minutes he played over this sample size of the season. And he did. He gave Charlotte some, some real punch offensively. And, and to your point in terms of being uh, somewhat of a player that lacks explosiveness and relies a little bit too much on his length, uh, he is very much a methodical player. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's no slow-mo by any means, but he does feel like he takes his time uh, getting into that paint. Uh, but, uh, but I will say that he does get to the hoop and draw some fouls, which he's really good at. Uh, if you just kind of look up those numbers, he does draw a lot of fouls uh, on this team. And also, you know, he definitely has reduced the attempts from the mid-range, but he still puts up solid numbers, and I think that Borrego's system probably kind of swayed him away from taking all those mid-range shots, but if he needs to and, and get a bucket and turn to someone other than Kimball Walker, uh, he's the player on this team that you turn to and that we did this season. So, And I guess last kind of positive with Jeremy Lamb, great rebounder for his position, uh, and this allows the Hornets to get out in transition uh, a little bit quicker uh, than you normally would if you got it from, from a big. So very impressed with Jeremy Lamb this season. He stepped up tremendously with the upped role and put up his highest point total of his career, if that's correct. Yeah. Definitely. Look, Jeremy Lamb, I think a little miscast, to say the least, as a, a number two option. It's, it sounds funny when you, you say it out loud, actually. But he he had a really great season, considering the contract uh, contract year, expiring year, uh, $7.5 million. You got pretty serious value on that, in my opinion. Uh, 55 starts this season, that's a career high. 6.8% turnover rate, that's really, really good in career best. Of course, he shoots a lot from... Um, the mid-range, which plays a role in that, too. Uh, 38% of his field goal attempts from the mid-range, but that's down from 48% right. last season. He shot 45% of those looks. It's a good number. Um, 39% catch and shoot. You know, I don't think he's a he's like a, a guy you just can't leave open. I mean, he, he'll, he, he goes through hot and cold stretches, but for the most part, he's, he's become a pretty solid catch and shoot player. About three catch and shoot attempts per game from deep, and again, just under 40%. And he shot 53% on corner threes this year, too. That's really, really good. You just need you just need more volume. You just need more volume. Solid pick and roll score, I think, for the most part. And this is why his floor is, yeah, he's, he can be a microwave bench volume scorer that Spencer was just talking about. Um, uses that to get to a lot of his mid-range looks that, uh, you know, coming out of those handoffs out of the corner. He loves going right to left and then shooting back with his right. And obviously, it's pick and roll, 43% effective shooting. So, yeah, not a huge number. But, you know, again, he's just using that to get to his mid-range pull-up game. And he's pretty good shooting those. And this was a surprise that for me, looking this up, going through the numbers. Jeremy Lamb coming off of screens this season. 1.09 points per possession. That is a top 10 number in the NBA amongst players with at least 100 off-screen possessions. He had 55% effective shooting coming off of screens, too. And with 55 clutch points, second on the Hornets. So, yeah, this was a big year for Jeremy Lamb in a contract season. I think he proved himself to be an NBA rotation wing, whether you have him as a starter and he's a he's a fourth or a fifth option on a good team or he's coming off the bench, as, as again, as a, as a solid bench score. He fills both of those roles, in my opinion. So let's jump to the grades here. Spencer, what do you have for him for a grade? Yeah, I'm going to go with a, a solid B. For Lamb, you know, I wanted to go B plus, but the last thing it kind of, you know, pulled myself back. B plus would have been, you know, if he was effective field goal percentage of like 52 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, you know, just still a little south of 50 with that number. So I go B, but again, like I, I was I was impressed with Jeremy this year. I thought he really proved something, so I'm going B. And the Twitter poll had him at an A. I, I agree with you, Spencer. I have him at a solid B, not B plus, but B. Uh, some of the negatives that kind of dock him a little bit. Um, again, he does have the ability to drive to the hoop and draw fouls, but his numbers around the hoop, like Kimba, uh, were a little low this year. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he stepped up in a bigger role, but I don't know if I could go as far as to say B plus. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I have him right at a B plus, but you could that I had him at a, as a B, and then when I did a little bit of the the synergy numbers dive, bumped him up to to B plus. But B sounds about right for me too. Uh, good season for Jeremy overall. So now we turn to everybody's favorite Charlotte Hornet, <laughs> uh, the the million dollar man Nick Batum. Yeah, this was uh, this was a tough season for Nick Batum in Charlotte. There's no I'm not I don't hope I'm not tipping my hand on my grade there too much uh but the middle season of what is effectively a five-year contract he was paid 24 million dollars for his services this season uh nick batum again a guy that we got on for being passive at times a lot this season um just 44 touches per game that's down from 66 when he first arrived here 1.4 free throw attempts per 36 minutes a 16 percent free throw attempt rate which is low 13.2% usage rate. He was one of eight players in the NBA this season to play at least 2,000 minutes with a sub-14% usage rate. He was the most expensive player on that list, too. And (laughs) some of the better players on that one are like Draymond Green or whatever. You know, P.J. Tucker's not super expensive, but just these good – these are like, you know, shot-blocking centers or they're like 3 and D stoppers or they're like a unicorn like Draymond – um, you know, that's not where, where Nick Batum is, is at at all right now. Um, he was one of two players in the NBA this season to play over 2,300 minutes and finish few, with fewer than 100 free throw attempts. The other one was P.J. Tucker. And let's not forget, between the months of January and April and over 800 minutes of action, Nick Batum attempted just 22 free throws. And in the month of April, 86 minutes of action, Nick Batum finished with a 3.7% usage rate, which is just unbelievable. Uh, it really, really is. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. Look, Batum's role changed. He became more of a spot-up guy this season and the guy that the Hornets tried to use defensively, as we've discussed on this pod. It uh, just didn't really work out so well. Couldn't be more disappointed in Nick Batum's season. Look, the usage rate I just keep going back to. It's the lowest of any guard. Um you know, backcourt player on this roster, which is pretty eye-opening. I mean, you can look at some of his shooting numbers and you can say, oh, well, you know, 41 from the mid-range, 43 corner three, 37% above the break three. But it's the volume uh, that, that you really have to focus in on. Um, you know, Batum this season attempted just shy of 300 three-pointers. That's in his 14, or excuse me, 11 seasons. It looks like that's Seventh on the list, you know, Brian pointed out how much money he's making. Uh, it, it, the most disappointing aspect for Batum with me is if if you're a guy making this much money and you're watching Kimball Walker carry this much of a load night in and night out and not being able, I've said this before, not being able to find a way to insert yourself mm-hmm. into the offense. I mean, you know, this roster is not uh, – <laughs> It's not full of, of offensive guys with, with mouths that you have to feed. Mm-hmm. So, it would, so it would appear to me that it would be pretty easy to just be assertive, 
go get the ball and be aggressive. And he has shown time in, year in and year out, that he's just not capable of doing that. Um, and, you know, could the Hornets have seen this, you know, post-playoff season? No, because he was pretty good when he wasn't injured that season. Certainly in the playoffs he was good. But, you know, he has declined almost every year, it seems like, with this contract. And uh, just very, very disappointing year for Nick Batum. And by the time it was over, it, it seemed like he wanted – he, it seemed like he literally didn't even want to be seen no. in the arena. You know, he almost forgot he was on the team some nights, which is uh, not a good sign. So not not a good year for old Nick. Exactly. And I think if you've, even if you take out the money factor, like if, if he was getting paid – 15 million a year, 12 million a year. Mm -hmm. Like, would you still consider this a good season for Nick Batum? And no, no, the answer is no. I mean, I think there are some positives because you guys kind of laid on some negatives on Batum. There are some positives that he had this season, but you got to take it with a grain of salt. He shot the ball well from all over. Mm -hmm. He had the highest effective field goal percentage among all Hornets guards and wings. But the sample size just wasn't there. He's a great rebounder. Uh, He was tasked with being the point of attack defender when MKG was taken out of the lineup, which I thought he did an okay job at uh, in terms of just, uh, you know, competing. But on the offensive end, you guys kind of touched on it. He just shied away from the ball. He didn't want to do anything with the basket or the hoop. His shooting foul percentage was the lowest of his career. He just did not want to attack the rim. So, I think we're just going to go ahead and wrap up Batum. I'm going to go ahead and give my grade. My grade is probably going to be higher than yours. Uh, I'm going to say C- minus for him. And then the Twitter folks gave him a D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I gave Nick Batum a, a D-. minus. Um, <laughs> look, Nick Batum is not without skill. And I think in the on the right team in the right situation, he, he could still be a, a pretty darn good player. But it's not in Charlotte. And let me just say this real quickly, too. I get that his role has changed and the team has changed and he was sold when he signed back here a different like a different scenario than than uh than what's played out but you know what man it's it's a problem if you can't adapt um a lot of people have their jobs change in the workplace and um especially in professional sports and it's disappointing that he was not able to adjust so yeah uh D minus for Nick Batum and who knows what the future holds for the Frenchman. In and I actually thought he would thrive under Borrego's system, but he clearly did not. But go, go ahead, Spencer, with your grade. Yeah, I, I go D-minus as well. I mean, I just look at like his usage percentage at a career low, lowest of any backcourt player on this team, and he still manages to have the highest turnover percentage of any backcourt player on this team. You know, it's just – it's been – he's been snake bit with that problem his whole career. I, I got to think mentally – his lack of ability to get past the turnover bug has to do a lot to his confidence and, and why he wants to live in the background. I mean, I, I think that is a mentality problem and a confidence problem for Batum, and it's a shame because he does have some ability. He's always had some ability. Um, but, you know, I'm afraid his days are a little bit counted, certainly in Charlotte, maybe in the NBA. Right. All right, we're going to transition to some players that probably aren't going to get as much talk, but uh, we'll keep these quick. Dwayne Bacon averaged 7.3 points per game, 1.1 assists, 2.1 rebounds, and shot the ball from behind the arc at a clip of 44%. Uh, this is a player that probably was one of the bigger surprises towards the end of the season. He bounced around from Greensboro and Charlotte 
early on, uh, but he came into his own as the season progressed, uh, especially late. He, like Lamb, I feel is are one of the you know the few players on this Hornets team outside of Kemba that can actually create something for their own. Uh, his pull-up shooting from deep was very good this season. Uh, he's also able to get all the way to the rim. And if he doesn't, he has a pretty good floater game as well. And one thing that uh, surprised me a little bit about Bacon this season, and I know it's a small sample size because he did not play a ton of games, uh, but he actually had the best percentage on above-the-break threes of all Hornets this season. Well, outside of uh, Billy, but Billy actually had half the attempts of Bacon. But there's some promise in that in terms of Bacon being a player that you know lives from behind the arc and gets to the rim. But he still has that tendency, like Lamb did early in his career, to pull up from mid-range. And he really hasn't shown the ability to shoot from the mid-range all that well. And I think his defensive rebounding took a dip this season uh, for Bacon. So that's kind of all I have about Bacon. A big surprise for me, a good surprise, but still some things to work on. But again, he's only been in the league for two years. Yeah, this was a good season for Dwayne. And and I don't want to overreact too much to the small sample size at the end of the season. And we recorded a pod on this maybe about four or five weeks ago where we went into more detail on Bacon. But just... His shot profile changed. 38% of his field goal attempts came at the rim. That was only 18% last season. His rookie year, 60% of his field goal attempts were from the mid-range. That was down to 31% this year. Again, he still likes that right. mid-range shot uh, a good bit. But just proved to be a guy that could be a closeout beater, was could drive both directions, could go left and right off pump fakes. And when a little advantage was created, um, over 35% of his spot-up possessions resulted in drives all the way to the basket. Shot 63% on those, which is a good number, uh, well over 1.2 points per possession, which is solid. And that just the Hornets needed, so with, with Nick Batum lacking in aggression on the wing and refusing to attack closeouts, the Hornets, it was a, it was a, a shot in the arm, really, for Kemba to get a play with uh, another second side player yeah. that could that could hit off the catch and, and Lamb or pardon me Bacon was at forty five percent on catch and shoot threes this year small sample but him Kemba getting to play with Lamb and Bacon at the same time was uh it, it just shows you something you would you wish you could have seen more of the last couple of years in Charlotte yeah I mean I, look I was there at the end of the season I mean Dwayne Bacon was arguably the second best player for this team you know offensively behind Kemba but he's a true two way player. Um, you know, one of the things that probably goes overlooked with Bacon amongst the NBA and, and, and Hornets fans, too, is a really strong, powerful athlete on top of being kind of a glider, kind of like a lamb athlete. But he's trying, you can't knock him off his spot. You can't offensively when he's going to the hoop and you can't defensively. He's really able to hold his own. Uh, love his ability to grab the ball off the defensive glass, push it. We saw a lot of that at the end of the season. 68% at the rim. You guys have already said it. Yes, it's a small sample, but that's really, really impressive. Really impressive. Right. And, it's, and it's a great sign for a guy who, who should, uh, going forward, probably really should showcase as a true 3 and D wing, um, you know, in this league. Things that I think he can uh, improve on, you know, it, he need that middle game, Richie, that you kind of talked about. He, he should abandon the mid-range, mid-range jump shot. If he's going <laughs> to shoot the ball that well from downtown – Abandon that shot. Right. Now, the floater game, not good at all. I mean, he, he, you know, him and Lamb almost need to uh, mature as players in opposite ways When the closer they get to the basket. They could, t- they could take something from each other, uh, which I think is kind of cool, actually. But, look, Dwayne Bacon, awesome sign. Awesome sign for this team. Kind of out of nowhere there at the, at the end of the year when it looked like the Hornets were trying to press the tank button. All of a sudden, they might have found really a building block 
for their future and a young player. And a building block that could replace Lamb this offseason. Uh, and like I said, he probably will take a very similar path to Lamb. Might not be as productive as him in the, in the, in the uh, career, but you just never know. Uh, the Twitter poll came out, and Bacon got a B on the Twitter poll. I'm going to go ahead and give Bacon a B-, minus. you know, just for all the reasons I stated. Yeah, I've got Bacon as a, a B2, and considering his contract, uh, $1.4 million, good, good value. Again, try not to overreact to the small sample at the end of the season, but Dwayne really needed to show uh, some some uh, improvement offensively. He did that, and I think it's a testament to work ethic, player development, and this franchise's G League uh, G League affiliate not being a basketball outpost anymore, but being a real, real thing, actually. So I give Dwayne Bacon a B. I'm going to go A minus here. I'm not going to knock. Ba- I'm not going to knock Bacon for not you know, for the opportunity he didn't get at the beginning of the season, when he did get an opportunity as a young player at the end of the year, when the Hornets were, you know, pushing for a playoff spot, he was one of the best spot, you know, brightest spots on the team. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give him credit for that. Um, I think he far exceeded anybody's expectations, um, you know, in the last month and a half, two months of the season with those minutes. And to me that, you know, that should spit out a name on it. So I, I'm going to reward him. All right, so we are moving to Tony Parker, um, kind of the opposite. We were just talking about Bacon, who finished the finished the season strong. Tony Parker, not so much, um, but started the season strong. Nine and a half points per game, three point seven assists per game, one and a half rebound, forty six percent from the field, and just twenty five. Uh, from behind the arc, but as we know, that's not a part of his game. Uh, look, I, I thought Tony Parker, certainly in the first half of the season, what he did was late in games when Kimball was, was gassed or, you know, it, it, the first six minutes, seven minutes of a fourth quarter, he kept the offense afloat. He, he, gave, um, he gave this team some calming presence uh, in all the close games that they had to play in, which was a lot, you know, for the Hornets to win games, they got to almost barely get over the hump in a lot of these situations. So he gave you just a veteran presence on the floor that could calm you down offensively, get you into your stuff, and, and really just not allow you to beat yourself. I mean, that's really what I took from Tony Parker, um, you know, until the injuries started to creep up. Of course, he couldn't play second nights of back-to-backs, which was uh, disappointing, but something we expected. Um, nothing really sticks out in the numbers no. for me, to be honest. I mean, it's kind of what we expected. It looked like Parker was going to be a, just a huge bright spot for this team. And then again, injuries caught up, and he, he barely played towards the end of the year, uh, which was a little disappointing. I would not expect Tony Parker to be back in Charlotte next season. No. And I, and I think you brought up a good point. I didn't think about this. His, his veteran presence probably should be factored into his grade a little bit more than I maybe gave him credit for. That calming presence, as you stated, we wouldn't even have been in the playoff hunt if it wasn't for him being instrumental in several wins earlier in the season. Um, he came up big in the fourth quarter several times when teams were keying in on Kemba. Uh, and he's even proven at his age that he can continue to score in some crafty w- ways around the rim, uh, in the paint. He even showed a mid-range shot at times. Uh, but like Spencer stated, that that three-point shot was never in his game and that did limit him in the Hornets offensively at times. And then, you know, I don't know if it was a minutes thing or injury thing, but you just couldn't play him a ton uh, for long stretches. His, you know, his defense was poor as well. Some of the same things that you hear about Tony Parker over and over uh, throughout his career. But um, 
I think you do have to factor in that that veteran presence a little bit more than I thought you should. Yeah, Tony Parker, uh, over 10 drives per game, which was second on the Hornets. He shot 52% on those drives. That was actually, a, a considering the fact that he didn't play that many minutes, 18 per game, it's pretty good. I mean, he, he had a role he, when he was healthy. He did a decent job doing it. He had some good fourth quarters for the Hornets. And the last couple of years, I mean, he was just a – while he wasn't great, he was a big upgrade over Ramon Sessions, Michael Carter-Williams, Brian Roberts. And I think, I don't have the number in front of me, but I, I think the offense was at, you know, 103, 104 points for 100 possessions with Tony on, Kemba off. And he clearly, again, before the, his season went south, Brago had some confidence in Parker playing him and some small ball lineups with Kemba or, hell, even sometimes with Malik Monk and Devontae Graham, too. Um Overall, considering the cost, he about $5 million this season for Tony Parker. I thought he was okay. He came in with, uh, with a B-minus for me this season, Tony Parker. The Twitter poll gave him a B, um, and I'm going to give him a C, a solid C. I think just maybe him tailing off towards the end of the season. I think mm-hmm. injuries played a role, but I guess it's just a lasting impression. He didn't have a lasting impression on me uh, with this season, and it seems like he's not going to be with the Hornets next season. What, do you, what is your grade, Spencer? Yeah, you know, similar to to Bacon, I'm going to judge him on the minutes he did get. Thought he was pretty good for for most of those minutes. I'll I'll go with a B. Um, You know, disappointing end for Parker. And you hope that that maybe he's got a little left in the tank to go back to San Antonio and and, and retire with that franchise. But but he did give us something early in the season, Richie. You made a good point. We're not in the playoff push without him. So I'm going to go B, yeah. All right, we'll flip ahead to one of the more – uh, exciting and frustrating players on the Hornets roster, too. That would be Malik Monk, uh, second season in the NBA, former lottery pick. A lot of expectations coming into the season. He wasn't hurt during training camp. Looked like James Brago was going to be leaning on him a little bit more as his tenure started in Charlotte. And the season just never really got online for Malik Monk. Struggled in off-ball defense. Shot profile improved a little bit, but overall his effective shooting basically stayed flat, like under 48%. But few shots from the mid-range still. Some questionable decision-making. And I I was hoping to see a little more synergy with playing with Kemba together this season. That was basically non-existent. So not the best season for Malik Monk. Uh, But... Perhaps between two and three, there can be a jump. If not, then uh, it's it's probably even too late to hit the panic button. Yeah, Malik, um, confusing season. You know, looked like he was going to get pretty much a consistent rotational spot. Didn't end up being the case. That's a little bit frustrating to me. I, I do hold a little bit that uh, against Borrego. Thought mm-hmm. they should have just let Malik play through some of this stuff, but. Look, it's just inconsistency, all right, and basketball IQ. I mean, those are the two things I always go back to with Malik. Basketball IQ-wise, as an offensive player and defensive, but let's focus on offensive right now, it's not good. It's just not. Mm -hmm. Turnovers are a problem for him. He doesn't know where the hell defense is coming from. Most of the times he doesn't know where his own players are, especially when he drives baseline. He's got a long way to go. Um, It's in there. It's possible. I'm not going to give up on him, but I'm not close. I'm not far from that. Yeah. Um, he, he's just mentally 
Malik doesn't look like a player that's ready for the speed of the NBA, and he hasn't his entire career. Yeah, it just sucks. You know, in the second straight season, his his numbers continue to decline, or at least mm-hmm. not get better. Uh, he's a defensive liability. He makes a ton of bad decisions, leaves his feet too often for passes. Uh, but there are some sparks in there on the offensive end. He has great vision, I think, pretty good passer, and a relative strength of his is getting to the rim and scoring. But uh, too much inconsistencies with Malik Monk here. And I'm going to go ahead and give him a C-. minus. The Twitter poll gave him a C. Yeah, I gave him a C- minus too. Uh, and again, a little antsy. We're closing in on you know 2,000 career minutes for Malik Monk. I know he's dealt with some injuries and some lack of development too. And he's still very young, just 21. But um, yeah, this was uh, this was a rough. Right now, he's just nowhere close to being a winning basketball player, and the offense has got to be the thing that bails him out, and that just hasn't quite been there. Yeah, uh, I'm going D plus for Monk. Um, you know, in the minutes he was given, he he just showed the same he showed us really so far in his career, and that is um, pretty severe inconsistency. So inconsistent play so you know again don't give up on monk is the hornets god knows we need him to develop um to have anything <laughs> moving forward but uh it's not looking good all right let's move on Devonte graham uh, i think this was you know like bacon another bright spot for the hornets um four and a half just over four and a half points per game two and a half assists per game 1.4 rebounds 34 percent from the field of course that's not very good 28 percent from behind the arc Look, the shooting numbers are not going to jump off at you at all. Well, they're going to jump off at you. They're going to jump off in a negative way. Right. But that that is – you really – I would say that's almost a complete throwaway, in my opinion. D- Devontae Graham proved in his rookie season that he can run an NBA offense. Mm-hmm. Um, he can get to the on the floor really where he wants, especially out of the pick and roll, and he knows where – the, the help is coming from. He knows where his players are rota- rotating to offensively. He can find open shooters. God, that guy's good at making a play off the baseline, you know, throwing an incredible flip pass the other end of the floor. He remind you know, we saw Monte Morris kind of grow up in Denver this year. Mm-hmm. Devontae, in a lot of ways, reminded me of, of, of Morris. And, and really, the stat you got to look at is his assist percentage, and really specifically, his assist to turnover. Four, 4.03, that's like tops of the league. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of good. Obviously, he's not playing with the sample that a Chris Paul or Kim Walker is, but I thought he got enough of an opportunity and proved to us that he's a low turnover, high assist guy. I'll wait on the shooting. That's going to come. But if you're already being that effective with the ball in your hands, setting up your teammates, and your coach is really trusting you with, with consistent minutes, uh, towards the end of the year, that backup point guard role. I think all those things are a really, really good sign. I gave Devontae Graham a B-plus this season. Yeah, I think the overall impact data is not going to be too kind to Devontae. This is one of those moments I think you just got to gotta ignore it and just look at what did you see on tape? What did you see when you saw him play this season? Overall, he's he's older. You know, he turned 24 during the season. He's going to turn 25 next February. So who knows quite what his development curve is. But just a guy that the game doesn't seem too big for him. He plays with good poise. He plays with patience. 50% effective shooting out of the pick and roll. And when he was a passer in the pick and roll this season, the Hornets scored right at 1.1 points per possession, which is pretty good, too. And the guy he passed to finished the pick and roll possession. That's solid. Um, again, he's cheap. I think next season's big for him in terms of can he make a jump on at least one end of the court defensively or offensively. I think that will go, obviously, a long way towards him. 
If not, you know, we'll have to see what things look like two full seasons from now when the contract is finishing up. But for now, I thought overall that was a, that was a fine rookie season for Devontae Graham. I gave him uh, a C plus to a B minus grade wise. If I had to pick one, I'd say I'd say uh, C plus probably. OK, the Twitter poll gave him a B, so they were a little bit more generous with that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give him a C minus. Um, maybe I'm a little bit too harsh on the fact that he didn't shoot the ball from really anywhere on the court. Uh, but you know, I do love the way that he orchestrates the offense as a rookie. He really does look like a veteran out there. Doesn't turn the ball over scrappy defender and a competitor on that end. And clearly the front office, uh, likes what they saw from him out of college and use part of the MLE to secure his bird rights. So he might not ever be more than a, you know, a backup in his career or a spot starter, uh, but he, he's very solid. He's very solid. He, he's a player that I could see, um, you know, being in the league for years. Spencer, did you give a grade yet or no? I did. Yeah, I, I gave him a B plus. I was I was impressed with it. I okay. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of BuzzBeat. Be sure to subscribe to us and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. Also, check out Blue Wire Buckets. It's a Blue Wire's uh, NBA pod from hosts from all over uh, the NBA landscape on Blue Wire. Uh, and I actually made an appearance the other day to talk some second-round matchups. For Spencer, for Brian, I am Richie. Go Hornets. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com